And so we're just going to trust this morning that Jesus is enough, whatever we got going on. I mean, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Um, so, uh, you know, we just had our, our Christmas uh, celebrations, and I've heard from a couple families. A couple families still have some celebrations to come. They're just kind of doing the, kind of extending out the Christmas celebrations. But some of us may be kind of in that fog of, of uh, Christmas after Christmas, and I hope you had a great one. Um, but, you know, as a parent, one of the things that's hard to do is kind of try to tailor uh, the correct gift for each child's personality, and, and it's a gamble, you know, you, you want to you wanna make sure you match that gift up correctly, and it's something they enjoy, and, and so um, uh, one thing that, uh, that Addie uh, got this, uh, this Christmas was a telescope. Addie's our second daughter, and, and uh, she loves science, she loves learning, and so we got a telescope, and, and uh, come to find out Setting up a telescope is kind of a big deal. Like, it's challenging. It, you, I, you know, you don't just stick, a, stick it on a tripod. Like, there's all kinds of calibrating and collimating, which is a word that I didn't know uh, existed. Um, and so, uh, at first, we were looking through it, and I said, I cannot see anything through here. And it turned out, you know, you have to remove the cap off of the lens um, in order to see. And then, I still couldn't see anything, and I had a, a, a defective or faulty, I'm going to say defective lens that actually from the... Uh, factory. I took the lens apart, which you're not supposed to do, but there was a, one of the lenses was in there, one of the pieces of glass was in there upside down, and so it was distorting the view. And so no matter how hard you looked through that distorted lens, uh, you couldn't see anything. And, and finally, I got all that going, and I looked in, and I said, I see the rings of Saturn. And then it turned out it was the reflection of the Christmas lights behind me. But for a brief moment in time, I was an astronomer, and it felt incredible, okay? Um, so we're still learning all that. Um, but, you know, I'm sharing that because we all experience kind of viewing life through a faulty lens sometimes. Uh, sometimes we're wondering what's God doing and, and what's he up to, and, and we're viewing through a faulty lens, or, we're, or, or we're, we're looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Um, we're finishing our, our series, Recognizing Jesus, today, and, and, and in, this, in this Luke 24 passage, a familiar passage, these two disciples walk in this road to Emmaus. Uh, we're going to meet these two disciples, and they're heartbroken, and they didn't recognize um, in Jesus' death the fulfillment of prophecy. They didn't recognize in his death that he, that he was accomplishing everything he said and promised he would do. They didn't expect his resurrection because they were looking through a distorted lens. Um, these disciples are going to learn what every disciple since then has the opportunity to learn. And, 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 and something we have to learn over and over and over again. And that is that Jesus is enough even when we don't realize that Jesus is enough. There's times that you don't think that Jesus is going to be enough. There's times when it doesn't feel like Jesus is going to be enough. There's times that, that, that life maybe is so full of heartache and struggle um, that, that, that it just doesn't feel like anything could ever be enough. And, and, and these disciples learn that, that, that Jesus is enough even when we don't realize that Jesus is enough. And so the, the first place they, they're going to recognize Jesus is in heartache. But before we, we dive into all that, I want to read the passage. It's going to be Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. That very day, what day? The day of the resurrection, the day that the women went to the tomb and, and they encountered the angels and they said, he's risen, he's risen indeed. So that day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, so, so they wanted to, it's like you just wanted to take a daily stroll from here to Roscoe, like a lot of us maybe do that. You walk from here to Roscoe every now and then. So that's what they're doing. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? So now this is the risen Jesus, but they don't recognize that he's the risen Jesus yet. 
okay? He says, what are you talking about? They say, and they just stood still looking sad, okay? They're just standing there looking sad. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered and said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said, what things? And they, so whenever Jesus asks the question, he knows the answer, but he's wanting to draw something out of us. He says, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers, they, they delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Can you hear just the air go out of their balloon? But we hoped, we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just like the women said. It was empty, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village in which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said, did not, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on, to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? Um, one of the disciples is named Cleopas, which is probably the same Clopas that we find over in John 19 as the husband of Mary. There was a, in John 19, we read about a, a woman named Mary at the cross, seeing Jesus be crucified, and she has a husband named Clopas. And this Cleopas is probably... Uh, that same husband. And so some people think this is a husband and wife, Cleopas and Mary, who are walking to Emmaus. Others say it's Cleopas and a buddy of his walking to Emmaus. But whether it's a couple or it's two friends, uh, you've got two disciples here, two people that love Jesus, and they're walking to this little town of Emmaus, and they're full of sorrow, and they're full of confusion. And, and you can just hear the heartache in their voice when they say, man, we just thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. In one of the most unexpected places we encounter Jesus, one of the most unexpected places we can recognize Jesus is in our heartache. You know, we expect to look for Jesus when it's joyful and when there's plenty of Christmas presents under the tree and we've got everything we want. That's where we expect to find Jesus. But the, but the place where we often find him is the, the last place we think to look, and that's heartache, that's sorrow, that's struggle. And ironically, it's at those times that we don't have enough that we come to learn most, most deeply that Jesus is enough. Um, we have the greatest opportunity to learn that Jesus is enough when we don't have enough. And so I think about Tammy that we just greeted and that we're praying for. Uh, she's, she's, uh, she's home under hospice care, and it's a difficult situation full of heartache. But as I've interacted with Tammy, and many of you have over these past few days, we've seen the glory of God. And we see God at work, and we see hope, and we see in the midst of struggle, we see hope, and we see God's glory. And Beth Moore recently wrote, never think for a moment that heartache is unhealthy in and of itself. What is unhealthy is to never have loved enough for your heart to ache. Keep risking it. It's one way you know you're still alive. Have you ever known somebody that lost something or someone they love and then they just decide to shut down from that day forward and never risk loving again? Um, we're, we're, we're tempted to that. But heartache in and of itself uh, it, it isn't, isn't unhealthy. Uh, what's unhealthy is, is never loving enough for your heart to ache. If you're going to love somebody, 
Your heart's going to break and your heart's going to ache and there's going to be times that it's going to hurt. And we're going to recognize Jesus there if we're looking for him. So in these disciples' heartache, they're not looking for Jesus, but Jesus comes looking for them. They're not seeking Jesus, but Jesus seeks them. He comes to them, he approaches them, and he starts walking with them, but they don't recognize him yet. God, the, the word of God says that God is near to the brokenhearted. He comes looking for them. So call to mind, I just ask you to just kind of interact for a second, not with me, but with God. I ask you just to kind of call to mind whatever heartache you might have going on. Struggle, loss, worry, and ask him, Jesus, where are you in this? Just take a moment. Just, Jesus, where are you? In this heartache, where are you in this loss? Where are you in this grief? And then, and then as a step of faith and hope, will you thank him and say, Jesus, thank you that you are enough in this heartache. Thank you that you're enough for me. While my, while my, while my spouse is sick, or while my child is rebellious, or where my, where, while my friend is addicted, or while my bank account is non-existent, thank you that you are enough in this. In our heartache, we want to believe, but we struggle to believe because we can't see all the puzzle pieces. So we see in this story, I see in this story, this mysterious stranger who we know to be Jesus. I see similarities to the passage that Sonda read earlier, that mysterious stranger that approached Jacob and wrestled with him. And who is this? Is he for me? Is he against me? And, and, and Jacob leaves that encounter with a fresh and a new identity. He leaves that encounter transformed. That's what's going to happen to these disciples on the Emmaus Road. Um, Frederick Buechner wrote, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He said, it's the best any of us can really do, but thank God it is enough. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief is the best any of us can really do, but thank God it's enough. We can recognize Jesus in our heartache. We can recognize that he's enough, even when we, don't, when, we, when we don't realize that he's enough. Second place we can recognize Jesus is in community. Note, in community. Notice that these, these, these two people, whether two friends or a husband and wife, these two disciples are walking together. And they're talking together about the things that God has done. And they're talking together about how they've been disappointed and how they're confused. They're leaning on each other. They're bearing each other's burdens. That's what biblical community is about. Um, they're leaning on each other. And they could have walked alone and they could have been stuck in their own heads and they, kind of, they could have tried to do their best to figure it all out. They could have said, well, what's community done for me lately? I was part of a community and then Jesus got crucified. I'm never going to do that again. Um, but yet, here they are risking community with one another. They lean on each other. Not because they're dutifully fulfilling an obligation that I've got to make meeting this week, but because they're desperate for God. They're desperate for each other. In community, with all of its challenges, and, and let's face it, its awkwardness, its surprises, we discover in community that Jesus is enough. Jesus draws near to these disciples in community. They're, they're just walking, talking about him, leaning on each other, and Jesus shows up. That's exactly what he said he would do. He says that when two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. So next week, you know, um, we're going to have our life group launch for 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 this semester, this, this 2019. And uh, we're going to have uh, life group sign-ups out there in the Family Life Center. And, and maybe you've just said, you know what, I've tried the life group thing. It wasn't for me. Um, I just encourage you to get back, to, to jump back in. Maybe you've kind of held back. Um, I just encourage you, don't, don't walk alone. 
uh, we're going to have opportunities to, to check out re-engage and regen and, 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 and uh, Sunday school and, 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 and life groups. And, and maybe, maybe it's time for you to, to lead a group or to, or, to, or to open up your home for a group. Maybe it's time for you to get involved in, in intentional community. In community with all of its challenges, we recognize you. And, and community is a big deal for us here at Trinity. We don't, we don't gather just so we can, we can do this every now and then. We gather so that we can go deep with a, few, with a few people and we can share each other's burdens and we can lean on each other. And, and, and as we see in this passage, Jesus shows up in a special way when we do that. Maybe communities hurt you and so you're withdrawing from community because communities hurt you. But, but you know, don't be a person that does to others what was done to you. Because don't, don't hurt other people or withhold from other people because you were hurt. Uh, be what you wish community would have been for you. Uh, we, we recognize Jesus in community. We recognize Jesus in God's word. It's really interesting to me that, that um, this passage is bracketed with these two references to recognizing Jesus. In uh, 24 verse 16, we read that their eyes were prevented or their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And then in verse 31, we read that Jesus broke the bread and their eyes were open and they recognized him or they knew him. There's, this, there's these bookends with they couldn't recognize him and then they do recognize him. And throughout the Gospels, there's these references to Jesus saying something or doing something and the disciples not knowing what it was about and not understanding it, not recognizing it, not, not, not grasping it. Um, and now, at first, they don't recognize or grasp, or know, or understand the risen Jesus. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, the risen Jesus is the last person they're expecting to meet. You know, in our heartache, or in our loss, or in our struggle, if Jesus is often the last person we're expecting to see, and if Jesus is the last person you're expecting to see, you may not recognize him when he shows up. If Jesus is the last person you're looking for, you may not recognize him when he does show up. The second reason that they, they, they may not recognize Jesus is that he's transformed. There's something different about him because he's, he's, got, he's resurrected, he's risen. There's something different about him. He's the same, but he's different. And I've I got to throw in a Lord of the Rings reference here, guys. It's the last one of 2018. I won't do another one until next year, okay? Uh, but I think about uh, Gandalf after he, 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 uh, um, he defeated the Balrog, right? And, uh, and, and, and then he was dead. And, and then... Suddenly, there's this mysterious stranger, cloud, you know, with us, like robed in white, and, and they get and they don't recognize him until they get close. And it's Gandalf, and he's the same, but he's different. So part of the reason uh, they don't recognize Jesus is because he, even though he's Jesus, he's different. But the third reason they don't recognize Jesus is, and I believe the most important reason is because at this time and place, God is concealing something from them. God is preventing them at this moment. God has blinders on their eyes. And they're being kept from recognizing Jesus. And we instantly bristle at that. Well, how dare God? How would a loving God not let me see him? How, how come God doesn't just show me all his cards all the time? And see, God keeps us in the dark sometimes. Because he wants to reveal things to us slowly. And, and we may not like that, but did anybody over Christmas, any parents or grandparents do any concealing the past couple weeks? Did you conceal anything? Um, you, you bought a gift for somebody, you know, a, a classmate, or you bought a gift for a child, or your, or your parent, or your grand. You concealed it. Did you conceal it because you hate your family? No, because there's something fun about discovering something new. Proverbs 25 said, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. God has created you in his image as kings and queens. And he has put something in you that longs to discover, 
longs to seek, longs to just tear open that wrapping paper. I mean, if you, if you walk into, you walk in uh, Christmas morning and there's just a bunch of random gifts on the floor, well, that's just like, well, somebody went to the store, okay? It's, there's nothing magical about that, but it's magical when these gifts are concealed, and you have the privilege of, of, of opening them and, and, and opening that, that, that paper. And, and what is this? It's all about the reveal, isn't it? That's where the, that's, where the, that's where the surprise is. That's where the joy is. That's where the fun is. It's in seeking out what's hidden. And there's times that God hides something from you, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. And he knows that you're wired to seek him. You're wired to search for him, and you're not going to be satisfied with anything, with anything less than that. So they're searching for him, and, and, and their eyes are, 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 are not able to see him because God's wanting to reveal something to them in a way that's going to have the biggest impact. So they share their pain with Jesus, and he walks them through God's word. He kind of chides them a little bit. He says, you foolish ones. I think that Jesus probably says that. He's not being mean here. He's not being sarcastic here. I'm, I just think Jesus shakes his head at me all the time. Man, oh, Matt, you foolish little Matt. Matt, 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 Matt. How slow are you? He says, how slow are you guys? How foolish are you? Don't you understand yet? And he walks them through the story from creation to the law to the prophets to the events of his life to the, to the last few days. And he says, don't you see that all this has been pointing to Jesus? All this has been pointing. You know, we can't understand God's word if we're reading God's word through the wrong lens. And Jesus is the lens through which we read God's word. Any other lens is a distortion. All the whole story of Israel and of creation and of the law and of the it all points to him. And when we read the word of God through the lens of Jesus, it makes sense. And it, and it points to him and it finds its fulfillment in him. N.T. Wright wrote, they, like everybody else in Israel, had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. They had been seeing it as the story of how God would redeem Israel suffering, but it was instead the story of how God would reveal Israel through suffering, through in particular the suffering which would be taken on himself by Israel's representative, the Messiah. And so often today, we still try to read the word as though it's the story of how God's going to deliver us from suffering. But the gospel is the story of how God delivers us through suffering, not just our suffering, but primarily the suffering of his own son. And God's word as we read the story and find that it all points to Jesus, we discover that Jesus is enough. We discover that Jesus has always been enough. He's always going to be enough. As we hold on to God's word, we find ourselves invited into the story, and we discover that he's enough for us today. And the last place we can recognize Jesus is in the breaking of bread. Look what happens. Verse, uh, verse 28, they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, it's toward evening. Notice that Jesus pretended like he was going to go on further, and, 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 and they invite him. Jesus doesn't just barge into the living room and say, hey, what's for dinner, guys? He doesn't just barge into your life. They invite him. They welcome him. And so think about what you've been complaining about lately. I know we don't complain about stuff, you know, but if you did complain, imagine, what, what would that be? your work or your boss or your pastor or your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents or whatever. And what if the question we were asking was, God, where are you in this? What are you wanting to do in this? What if the question was, how are you wanting to reveal yourself to me in this? What if it was, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my job. I'm inviting you into my family. I'm inviting you into the study of your word that I don't even feel like doing. I'm inviting you that's what they do. They invite him in and they share a meal together. It's just a regular old meal. 
just a regular old man. I'm convinced that one of the primary ways that we can recognize Jesus, always has been this way, always will be this way, one of the primary ways we recognize Jesus is when we gather around a table and break bread together. But notice what these guys do. They invite a stranger to the table. They didn't say, hey, we got a good relationship going. We don't want to mess it up by getting this guy. How can we ditch this guy, this hitchhiker? No, they invite him in. And when they invited a stranger to, to their table, they discovered that Jesus was in their midst. I want to ask you, how are you stewarding your dining room table? How are you stewarding? You're gonna, every, everybody has, maybe you eat on a cardboard box, fine. How, how are you stewarding that? I think your biggest mission gift, your biggest ministry tool is your home specifically that place where you, where you gather and break bread. How are you stewarding that? I think I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to answer for how I stewarded mine. And I'm not going to be able to say, well, you know, the kids were in diapers or, well, it wasn't ever clean or, well, we weren't finished with that remodel yet. How are you stewarding your home? How are you stewarding your dining room table? What, who are you inviting in to break bread, share a meal, and talk about, about Jesus. These guys opened the circle when it would have been easier to close it. How are you stewarding your dinner table? Jesus breaks bread and he blesses it just like they've seen him do. So, they saw him do it when he multiplied the loaves and the fish. They saw him do this at every meal. But, and, and, and as he breaks the bread and he blesses it, there's something here. Their eyes are starting to open. When Jesus is at the table, every meal is holy communion. Do we get that? When Jesus is at the table, every ordinary meal becomes holy communion. Verse 31, their eyes were open and they recognized him. As he breaks the bread and he blesses it, their eyes are open and they recognize him. That, that word recognize is really the word for knew him. Their eyes were open and they knew him. He breaks the bread, he passes to them. Their eyes are open and they knew him, they recognized him. Does that remind you of any other passage of scripture? Let's, 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 let's just say that Cleopas and Mary, that this is a married couple. Remember a story of a married couple who eat something and their eyes get opened? Genesis 3, 6 and 7, the woman took of the fruit and she gave it to his husband, to her husband, and when he had eaten, their eyes were open and they knew. They knew that they were naked. They knew that they were not enough and they were ashamed. What sin does is it opens your eyes that you are not enough. What the gospel does is it opens your eyes that Jesus is enough. And he's reenacting the deepest story of scripture. He breaks the bread, he passes to them, their eyes are open, and it's not that they know how ashamed and shameful they are. They know him. They recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And when we recognize him, everything else begins to change. In Genesis, we find the story of how sin and death and rebellion sweep through this world. Here, what Jesus is getting at is that the curse is reversed because he has died and he has risen and he shares himself with us. And you don't have to be the same anymore. Like Jacob, you can limp away from your encounter with Jesus transformed. You don't have to, you don't have to be the same anymore. The gospel reveals that Jesus was, is enough. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. And they said, and then he vanishes and they say, didn't our hearts burn? 
Didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn when he was talking to us on the way? Man, we knew. We knew even though we didn't know. We knew. And then we saw him. And they went, and they weren't worried about how late it was. They go all the way back to Jerusalem, and they tell everybody, he is risen. As the band comes up, and we're pondering this, Jesus is enough even when we don't realize he's enough. Jesus is enough even when we don't realize he's enough. I, I, I want to invite you. I want to invite you into renewed commitment to seeking God. What you need this year, more than, uh, more than uh, a gym membership or eating better, although those are really important, what you need this year more than quitting dipping or smoking or whatever, although that's really important. What you need this year more than reading 20 books or a book or whatever, even though that's really important. What you need this year is to return to your first love. That's what you need and that's what I need, is to return to your first love. Will you commit with me by the power of the Holy Spirit? Will you invite Jesus in to renewed commitment to seeking God? Will you renew your commitment to community? Will you stop making phony, lame excuses? And if, you, if, 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 if you're offended by that, somebody else will be glad to have you. Stop making lame excuses. Renew your commitment to community. It doesn't have to be an official group. Grab two or three other believers, go to the coffee shop, but get in community. Renewed commitment to God's word. Will you renew your commitment to God's word? You're wondering why you're limping along. I've been limping. I'm so tired. I'm so this. I'm so that. Abide in him. Renew your commitment to him. Renew your commitment to community. Renew your commitment to, to his word. We're going to enter into a time of communion. Our deacons are going to come forward. Some, some of our guys are going to come forward. And we remember Jesus stumbling out of the grave, pierced body, broken feet, broken hands, risen and new, still bearing his scars, moving towards the sunrise. Because that happened, your life is heading toward the sunrise. The sun is rising on you. The sun is rising on the church. So in that, in that meal, Jesus broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. He passed the wine and he said, this is my, my blood shed for you. And remember me.